Bibles, if you will, and go to Genesis chapter 22. I thought about as we, as we were beginning to go through every or almost every book of this year, going through there, we're going to talk about a friend of God, we're going to talk about Abraham, of course, but as I, as I mentioned earlier, as I looked at the year and what books we'd be in, what books we'd have to miss, and I thought about Genesis because I've preached from Genesis quite often, but I just couldn't let it go. I just couldn't let it go. And then with Isaac with us, obviously not the same Isaac in the text, but, um, but uh, it is good to see God's blessing here among us. I'm going to begin reading there in verse number one here in a moment. But again, I want to tell you that I'm, I'm grateful that you braved the snow this morning. I've heard that it's Klaus, is that what you told me? It's only here in Bavaria that there's snow and everywhere else it's like rain and it's just here. So God just wanted to give us, I needed exercise this morning. Me and Axel, we needed cardio and my wife, of course. My wife was out here like seven or something like that. So she was, she loves the snow. So she really can't complain about shoveling. Um, so I, I think that's great. Don't tell her I said that. She is not. She's teaching the children. So yeah, I put all that together so I could say that. <laughs> Well, we're going to talk about a friend of God this morning. You know, this, this passage, I believe that we see a very personal display of the gospel, the gospel message. And we know the gospel as in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, there's first few, verses, first few verses there in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. As a matter of fact, if you ever want to see the gospel just in a few verses, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 15. I take that back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we get a picture of that here from the Father's point of view, from, from God the Father's point of view. This, of course, is the passage where God asked Abraham to offer his only begotten son as a sacrifice. Now, Abraham has another son, Ishmael. He actually, uh, Abraham has many sons, uh, but only through Isaac was the promised seed. And um, I just want to say this, you know, Abraham is a man of faith, and we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, as, and we're going to learn about what it means to him to be a friend of God and how we also can be a friend of God. But if you study the timeline for Abraham, and we'll get a little bit in that timeline because I like timelines and calendars and maps and all those things, but Abraham, when he was 100 years old, this is when Isaac was born, Isaac was married when he was 40 years old. Isaac didn't have Jacob and Esau until he was 60 years old. And 15 years later, Abraham would die. So God promised Abraham this promised seed through Isaac. But before he died, all he saw was Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And he lived a life of faith, a life of faith. And we'll talk about that here this morning. And I want to say for the record, before we get into this, uh, God intended all along to provide that ram in the bush for, for Abraham. This is a test, and this chapter begins with a test uh, for Abraham to, to test his faith. And we know that God knows all things, so this test is not for God. It's for Abraham, and it's for us to see the level of faith we are committed to this morning. But I believe, again, that through this test here in Genesis chapter 22, we get a glimpse into the heart of God through the heart of Abraham, God the Father. Now, we could turn to Isaiah 53, that great chapter that details the sufferings of our Savior, to see what the cross meant to the Son. 
And we can turn to Psalm 69 and see Christ and David's cry for deliverance from his brethren. Or even Psalm 22 to see our forsaken Savior's plea as he hung on the cross there in the Old Testament. In fact, we, we can turn to many passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to see what the, what the cross, what Calvary meant to the Son. We see his point of view. We have the New Testament. It's because of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about it. But nowhere in Scripture... From cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, do we see a clearer picture of what Calvary meant to God the Father than we do here in Genesis chapter 22? I believe God chose to use the relationship between Abraham and Isaac to help us see the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Abraham's only begotten son and God's only begotten son. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, God recounts this marvelous scene as a testament to the great faith of Abraham. In, Ab- in Hebrews, he says, uh, eleven seventeen, he says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received promises, promises offered up his only begotten son. Abraham offered his only begotten son, of whom it was said, the author of Hebrews continues, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, and he accounted that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. And while we cannot, you and I can certainly see a picture of Christ in Isaac, and we never want to lessen the importance of that. That is very significant. But the text here is not an emphasis on Isaac. The emphasis is on Abraham. God spoke to Abraham, not Isaac. Now a time comes when Isaac becomes the man of God that God deals directly with. Isaac would hear God promises to him just like he promised to Abraham, looking to the stars, and if you can count them, you can count your seed. He says that same thing to Isaac and to Jacob and so forth. But this is Abraham's story. The focus is on Abraham. And again, I believe we see the heart of God in the heart of Abraham. Now, Abraham is just a man. He's, he puts his sandals on just like we do. But in James chapter 2, verse 23 in the New Testament, the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Wow the friend of God. And I think in Abraham, in this beloved friend of God, there are some patterns in his life, some some mountains that he accomplished, some promises that you and I can find strength in even for today. So let's look at what made Abraham different. Why was he called a friend of God? And what do we have to do to be called a friend of God? I mean, to be called a friend of our Creator. You know, as I have three adult children, and it is wonderful to be friends with them. That's not always the case. Now, I'm still their father, and Kiki is still their mom, but we're also friends. I want to be called also a friend of God. Well, there's no greater. There's, no, there's nothing greater. He, he is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother, to be a friend of God. So let's look at these things. Verse number 1, Genesis chapter 22. The Bible says, And it came to pass... After these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood 
for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God called, which God had told him. We could see very clearly Christ and Isaac carrying his cross very likely to the same mountain range. Verse 4 says, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out unto him, out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For I know, for now I know, that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seeds as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, this very difficult passage of Scripture. Lord, help us to understand your heart in this matter. Help us to see the faith of your, your son Abraham and the faith even of Isaac, Lord. Lord, we just love you this morning and we want to be obedient. We want us also to be able to achieve such great heights of faith or to go over the mountains and the hills of faith that we have in our life, Lord, with with great victories, and we know that we cannot do this. Abraham cannot do this. Lord, we know that the step towards Moriah was not a step in human efforts, Lord, but a step that relies completely on divine efforts. And Lord, help us to live in a life that's the same, a life that's guided and empowered by your hand. And Lord, and we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start off by saying back there in verse number uh, verses 15, 16, 17, all those things right there. You know, the whole faith, the whole line of faith began with Abraham. You know, we look at Noah and we look at Adam, we look at Seth and all those uh, gentlemen and, and ladies and gentlemen prior to Genesis chapter 12 and even prior to Genesis chapter 22, and they were men of faith. But this is where the promise really begins to, to unfold, and it's all based on Abraham's faith. 
He says, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and not withheld thy son, thine only son, in blessing I will bless thee. Because you demonstrated such great faith, I'm going to bless all of humanity based on the faith of one man. On, the, on one man. And to continue a little bit by way of introduction here, I want to remind us a little bit about some of the background that goes into Genesis chapter 22. A few things that will help us, I believe, see the gravity, although it's very easy to see the weight of what Isaac or what Abraham has asked to do, but help us to understand it a little bit better. According to biblical genealogies uh, in, in the passages before us, Abraham was born in the year 2008. Obviously, that's not just a few years ago, uh, but 2,008 years from creation. His timeline was about two to 300 years after the Tower of Babel and about three or 400 years after the flood. God called Abraham from his father's house in Genesis chapter 12, and Abraham went from following idols to following the living God, dead idols to the living God. Now, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22, it's 10 chapters for us, but it's 60 years for the life of Abraham. Remember, God called him at 75, and he was 100 when Isaac was born. This makes Isaac a young teenager in Genesis 22, probably 16 or 17. The word used for lad there in verse number 5, you see, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder. The word lad and young men are actually the same word, the same word in the, in the Hebrew. Now, the only difference is that the young men were hired servants, and Isaac was Abraham's son. So maybe that makes them a little bit older, but that's really only speculation. I say all that to say he wasn't a five- or six-year-old. He was fully, fully mature in, in, in his teenage years. I'm not saying that. Never mind, I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> I'll just leave that alone. <laughs> Parents can deal with that one. But at any rate, by Isaac's own words here in the text, we can see that he was mature enough to understand what was going on. He asked in verse 7, where's the lamb? He knew what was going on. He, he already witnessed his father do this probably many times. So he knew the normal procedure, what the normal procedure was for an offering. And shifting our focus back to Abraham, his father, into the text, let's learn a few things about him that I think are just amazing. Amazing. It's probably one of my, I probably have a few messages that I like preaching very much, and this is in that group. Um, but look at verses number one and two again. It came to pass, God tempted Abraham, and he says, Here I am. Verse two. And he says, Take now thy son. Thine only son whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. The first characteristic we see, there's many in here, of course, but the first characteristic I'm going to point out from the life of Abraham, from the character of Abraham, is that he loved. Abraham loved. Uh, it's very clear that Abraham loved Isaac. Abraham loved Isaac. Now, I'm going to try to paint a picture here on how much Abraham loved Isaac. One of the reasons I think these, these events here are recorded is so we, you and I, can identify with Abraham. We can, now we can be sure. I, I know many times we, we see these, these, these characters in the Bible, especially way back in Genesis, and they're so, their culture is so far removed from ours that we don't really see them as people. Now, we won't say that. We don't really understand it that way, but they're so far away that we can't really identify with them. Well, we can't identify with them. He loved. We love. We know, what it, we know what it means to love. 
we can see that he's a person just like we are. We can relate to him in this loving his son or his friend. We know all about love. Some of us, a little bit more than some of less, you know, I, I think I know a little bit more about love being almost 50 than I did when I was almost 15, no doubt about that. But we can still relate to Abraham regardless of where we are in life, especially if we are believers. And we know that Abraham loved Isaac because it's recorded here in the inspired Word of God. I think, I think that's significant. You know, when, 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 when Abraham, when we get to heaven, and you see Abraham and Isaac just sitting there hanging out, maybe they're playing checkers, I don't know if we do that in heaven or not, but Isaac can never look over to dad and say, did you really love me? He can't say that. It's in the Word of God. I, my love for my children is not in here, but Abraham can say, hey, it's inspired. You know that I love you. And to doubt that would be to doubt the very words of God. That's amazing for Isaac to know that his father loves him. Amazing. It's forever settled in heaven that Abraham loved Isaac. But also significant to this reference of love is that it's the first time the word's ever used in Scripture. The very first time the word love is ever used in Scripture. And God, through the Holy Spirit of God, chose to not use that before. I mean, he talked about marriage. Adam and Eve, there in Genesis 2, at the end of how they should be um, leave father and mother and cleave to each other and then be, and begin that weaving process. And that word cleave is real close to the word love, but it's not love. This is the first occurrence. And God chose to reserve it between a father and a son who was about that Abraham was going to offer as a sacrifice. And correlating that love with God the Father's love for His Son Jesus, it's not difficult for us to see. It's not difficult. And, you know, the second time love is used, and I think I've mentioned this many times here, but the second time the word love is used in the book of Genesis and, and all of the Bible is between Isaac, the son who was about to be sacrificed, and his bride, Rebecca. So you look at the big picture of that, God, the Father's love for Jesus, and Jesus' love for us, the bride, first two times. But think again about why Abraham loved Isaac so much. When God called Abraham from his father's house, back in Genesis 11 and 12, he intended for Abraham to bring his wife, no doubt about that. Uh, so Abram and Sarai were pulled from the world together. They were pulled from the darkness of the world together into the light of the family of God. So they experienced a life of wickedness together. And then they experienced a life of faith together. I'm not trying to promote their wickedness, but there's just something about starting at the bottom together, if you will, married together in darkness, worshiping idols, and pulled from that to worship the living God. They did that all together. Abraham loved Sarah very much, no doubt. And I think God surprised them over and over and over again. See, again, Abraham was 75 years before he started to worship the living God. Sarai was 65 years. That's a long time. They lived a long time before God entered their lives. I mean, we don't know for sure how, how old they were when they were married, but probably fairly young, 15, 15, 16 maybe. Even if it's in their 20s, we're looking at 50 years together before they worshiped God. And because Sarai could not have children, which was very honorable for a woman to do, in the, in this, especially in this time here, still is, by the way, but Abraham's love for her for those 50 years is already extraordinary 
because he loves her even though she can't bear him children. That's a big deal, bigger than I think we imagine. Abraham loved her very much. And when God called him unto himself and gave him Isaac, that extraordinary love would no doubt pass unto Isaac. Would no doubt pass unto Isaac. He, he probably saw Sarah in Isaac every day. And God promised Abraham an heir when he was 75, 75 years old. And Abraham tried to help God out a little bit, didn't he? We know about those stories. We won't get too much into that. But even though God promised him at 75 that Isaac would come, a promised seed would come, it would still be 25 years before Isaac was born. 25 years. That's a lot of faith. That's a lot of faith. Surely Abraham and Sarah never expected to be used by God in such a miraculous way, but Abraham loved her, no doubt about it. And he no doubt, again, loved Isaac. And after 70 years of being married to the wife of his youth, 70 years without a child together, Isaac is born. The promised child. They finally have a child together. God's promises are born in, their, in her arms and, and raised and weaned and all those things and just perfect. I mean, I mean, think about, think about Abraham's mindset. Okay, Abraham, get, go from thy kindred, go from thy father, serve me. I'm going to promise you an heir, and through that heir, the promised child will come. All the blessings of the world will be promised through Isaac, and then Jacob, and so forth down the line. It will be through Isaac. So when Isaac was born, and God confirms the covenant with Isaac through Abraham, this is he. You're, you and your wife gave birth to Isaac. He is the promise seed. Abraham could have easily... Now, what would you do in that situation? I'm, I'm Abraham, and I'm no child. God promises a child. My wife gives birth to Isaac. My mission's complete. I'm complete. There's nothing more God's going to ask from me. I have provided an heir. It's going to happen. I'm going to skip away. I'd probably try to skip, but I'd fall off of this. But, I mean, he's probably just thrilled that God is... I have finished my course strong. And then he hears this. Abraham, yes, Lord, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and offer him there for a burnt offering. What, what would be your reaction? It wouldn't be like Abraham's. Imagine the pain of hearing those words. What? You want me to do what? Again, Abraham certainly thought his mission in life was fulfilled. The promised son had been born, and he can die in peace believing. But there before him was the largest mountain he had ever faced. The largest mountain you and I will ever face is in Abraham. The offering of his only begotten son. Can you imagine? Picture them walking that mountain together, that trail after they left, the, the, the young men left, the, the, the hired servants behind. Abraham, no doubt, maybe even crying along the way as he led his own son to Mount Moriah. My mind just drifts to Garden of Gethsemane and, and God with the Father with His Son, God the Father with His Son going to the cross of Calvary. It's unique. There's so many similarities. When God goes into the garden, when Jesus Christ goes into the garden, the three stay behind, much like the trained servants stay behind here. And it's God the Father with the Son. And here we have Abraham the Father with Isaac the Son, them alone with Isaac carrying his cross, so to speak, the wood on his back. 
the depth of love that Abraham had for Isaac was great. I hope that is conveyed as, as, as best I can. He loved Isaac. He loved Sarah. He loved Isaac. But I want to point out something a little more significant here. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and went into the place of which God had told him. You know, the Bible does not record Abraham telling Sarah what was going on. That's significant. The Bible does not even record, other than he telling what, that God will provide a lamb, he doesn't even tell Isaac what's going on. In fact, God doesn't record one word from Abraham. Only immediate compliance. Abraham obeyed. No rebuttal, no rebellion, only compliance for something far greater than we've ever been asked to do. No rebuttal, no rebellion, only compliance. So my question to you this morning is this, who did Abraham love more than Isaac? Who did Abraham love more than Sarah? Who did Abraham love more than self? He loved God. Abraham loved God. Later on, John, Jesus would say in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Abraham loved God. Abraham was prepared to endure the greatest pain any man could bear or even be expected to bear because he loved God more. I think of Moses when he was writing the book of Genesis here. And when he got to this point of Scripture, can you imagine? I think I would cry all the way through it. If he thought of Abraham, he must have been in tears. Later on in Deuteronomy, Moses would write, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. I wonder if he thought of Abraham abraham certainly did so abraham loved god and he was a friend of god do we love like abraham do we love god like abraham loves god love god or better yet who do we love like abraham loved god do you want to be called a friend of god love like abraham love like abraham love god like abraham loved god if Abraham was willing to take the life of his only son to show his love for God, what does this say about a God who so loved the world he did give his only begotten son? For Isaac, God provided a lamb, but for the Savior, there was no such ram in the bush. God who spared Abraham from giving his own son did not spare his own son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is why we see the heart of God in Abraham. Because God went all the way through with it. He held Abraham back just to give us an example. So yes, we are to love like Abraham loved, but only because Abraham loved like God loved. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, and might. What did Jesus say was the greatest commandment? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. I'm afraid that I don't really know what that means. To love God with all that I am, with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. That's a tall order, but that's what's been commanded. That's the greatest commandment. Abraham fulfilled that. May you and I love like Abraham. Love God like Abraham. And may we love God 
the way God loves us. But love is not where it stops. That's really the beginning, because we see a little bit more here, because Abraham loved God, and then look at verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, And Abraham said unto his young men again, Abide ye here, me and the lads going to go up and worship, and come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Both of them went up the hill to worship God. Abraham loved, and Abraham worshipped. You know, I think true love precedes true worship. Sure, we know how, and we can show obeisance to a higher power on the outside, but true worship comes from a true heart of love. Tonight at Regensburg, we're going to be in John chapter 4, and verse 24 of that chapter says that they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. A heart that is true before God is a heart that loves God. And we spoke about that last week, that heart, that transparent heart before God. The Hebrew word here in the text used for worship is used only two other times in Scripture before this. And in both cases, we'll talk a little bit about both of those, uh, it involved adoration followed by an action. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham bowed, the word used for worship, uh, and then he hastened to prepare a meal for the Lord. When the Lord, y'all remember the story, the, the Lord, or two angels and the Lord come to visit him to, to tell him about Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham bowed and then hastened to prepare a meal. In Genesis 19, when the angels came to rescue Lot, Lot bowed and hastened to prepare a meal for the two angels. In both cases, though, the bowing was most likely a type of greeting, much like our handshake or maybe a bow today in certain countries. And it's only to be understood as true worship if the text permits it. Context is king, as they say. One commentator by the name of Henry Morris, who's with the Lord now, but he defined worship as bowing to God's will, simply bowing to God's will. But I think we can take it a little further and say that true worship always costs something. Remember David when he was uh, trying to buy the threshing floor where the temple was going to be and the person that owned it wanted to give him? He's like, I will not take freely something that I'm going to use for the worship of God. I will pay for this threshing floor because it's what we're supposed to do. Worship costs something, hence a sacrifice. In context, when Lot bowed in Genesis 19, he did throw a feast. He did, he did uh, feed the angels, if you will. <coughs> But when Abraham bowed in Genesis 18, he fetched a calf. He went out and killed a lamb from his herd to dress it. And here in our text in Genesis 22, Abraham did not fetch a prized calf from his herd. He fetched his son. He prepared his son for a burnt offering. Again, the Bible says they went, both of them together, to worship. I mean, think about that for a moment. Abraham knew exactly what God was asking him to do. There's no, there's no vagueness. There. It's, it's completely clear. God was crystal clear when he said, Take now thy son and offer him for a burnt offering. Yet he told the men, Abraham told the men, that him and the boy are going to go up and worship, and, and we're coming again. Notice that Abraham didn't say, We are going up there to be obedient. He didn't say that we're not ascending to the hilltop just because. He didn't go flippantly. This was serious business. There was, they were not up there just because God said so, although that was enough. But they were going up there to worship. 
it's significant, I believe, and I'm sure you would agree, that we obey God. There's no argument there. But Abraham's reason for going to Mount Moriah transcends obedience. He was going to worship. Going to worship. If we can define worship as bowing to God's will, we must take it further in Abraham's case and in ours. It must be bowing to God's will out of a heart of love without reserve at any cost. That's worship. Think about, what again, what God asked Abraham to do. I want you to sacrifice your son, so start walking that way, and I'll tell you the rest when you get there. He doesn't even tell him where he's going. He just gives him a general direction and tells him what he's doing. He didn't say when, where, how, or why. He just told Abraham what. God didn't say go now. He didn't say go later. He just said go. So with all the what we would fill in the blanks with, all that so-called need-to-know information, all of that was missing. With all of it missing, what did Abraham do? He went. He went. I think about my own life and, and struggling with what God wants me to do. In my, I, want, I want to know this. What about this? What about this? Just go. Just, just go. If God's laid something, even the smallest thing on your heart, just do it. Don't worry about the fallout. Trust God. Abraham knew a little bit more, though. He knew what it would cost him, but he still went without all the other information. And he called it worship. Worship. Wow. What do we call worship? What do I call worship? Does our worship of God cost us something? I mean, does it really cost us something? Do we live a life of worship? Or is it just, I'm a Christian and really never worship? I think we have a lot of non-worshiping Christians in our world today, if that's even a word, non-worshiping. What do we call worship? Do we bow to God's will out of a heart of love without reserve at any cost? Abraham loved God, and Abraham worshiped God. Turn, turn with me back to Genesis 21, just a chapter prior there, and look at the end of verse 12. The end of verse 12. Now this, is, this is talking about his, his thing there, or his dealings with Isaac there, and, and the casting out of uh, Ishmael and all those things, um, just to put, put it in context. But God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, speaking of Ishmael, that he's going to be cast out, and because of thy bondwoman, Hagar, also cast out. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, she's the one said, Get rid of them, in, in better ways than that. He said, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So again, Abraham knows that God's called him to sacrifice his son, and he knows that the promise must be through Isaac. That promise must be fulfilled in Isaac. So then with that said, look at verse 7 and 8. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Go back up to the end of verse 5. I and the lad will go wander yonder and worship and come again unto you. I want to point out that Abraham loved, he worshiped, but he believed. He believed God. It's supposed to be believed up there. It's not coming. But he believed. Oh, well. 
Abraham believed God. Let me, let me try something here real quick. If I ever leave this church because I am had a heart attack or something like that, stress or too much, technology is the culprit. Technology is the culprit. Look at there. Abraham believed. So Abraham, he even tells the other young men in verse 5, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and we're going to come again. Abraham didn't tell them that he was going to worship and come again, but he and the lad was coming to worship. They're going to go up. Abraham didn't go up, and he says, we're going to go up, and only I'm coming back down. Abraham says, we're both going up, and we're both coming back down. So Abraham believed God. He knew that, Abraham, that Isaac had to live. He believed God and trusted him completely without reserve. He knew again that for God's promises to be true, no matter what scenario, no matter what happens on that hill, no matter, it doesn't matter. Isaac has to live. Isaac has to come down that mountain. If he did not live, Abraham would have not only killed his son, but he would have also prevented the royal lineage. He would have prevented the promised seed. He would have prevented Jesus Christ because promise must go through Isaac. He knew that Isaac had to live. And he believed with all his heart. That's the only way he can walk in that direction. He had to believe. He believed with all his heart. Now some say, and from the text here, it's easy to, to misunderstand, I think, from some, from some points of view. But some say that Abraham just knew that God would stop him. But Hebrews says different. Look again at Hebrews. i got it up here on the slide if it works. There you go. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac... And he that received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac thou, thy seed shall be called. So we're all putting it together. Abraham believed. He's offering him. He's offering Isaac. Isaac is the seed, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Wow. In other words, before any resurrection was ever recorded, before any resurrection was even heard of, Abraham believed in the resurrection. No examples, not even a hint. Abraham believed in the resurrection. He believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Now, from a human point of view, the idea that a man can be raised from the dead originated in the heart of Abraham. There's no other place. It's in Abraham. And speaking of Abraham, Paul wrote in Romans 4, verse 18, he says that he, against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. Continuing on in Romans, Paul writes that he staggered not at the promises of God. He didn't stagger going up that hill. He knew that God could raise Isaac from the dead, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, Paul says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform Paul says that Abraham was fully persuaded that if I kill Isaac, God's going to raise him from the dead. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, my faith, my belief, my love for God transcends anything in this world. Abraham believed God. He willfully bowed to God's will at a heart of love, completely without reserve, and at any cost, fully persuaded. Against all odds, against even hope, the Bible says, Abraham believed. You know, sometimes our lives just don't make sense. They just do not make sense. Sometimes life just doesn't give us any answers. 
We have no idea what the, whole, what the day holds. Maybe we're surrounded by enemies or, or maybe we're just in the dark. Wherever the, whatever the case may be, sometimes we just don't know what's going on. But God is still there. Believe in God. Trust in Him. Wherever He leads you, follow God. We may not know when, where, or how, but we can believe Him. We can trust Him. If Abraham can do this, surely we can do this. And maybe, maybe you don't know everything there is to know about God. Welcome to the club. It's God. We're never going to understand God. We're going to be in heaven for millions and billions of years and never completely understand the character of God. He is infinitely greater than we are. And maybe you have a thousand unanswered questions about sin, about sacrifice and a, re- and a redemption. Maybe there's a lot of so-called need-to-know information uh, that's missing before I can give my life to God. But we can believe He is our Creator. Like Abraham, we can still trust God. Abraham believed. You can believe. Just believe. You know, we already know more than Abraham did, and with less, he gave more. We know so much more than Abraham did, and with less, he gave more. He believed more. And truth be told, Abraham was already a believer in God. He was already in, if you will. That that event happened back in Genesis chapter 15. If you remember the story, Abraham was doubting God. He was in his tent. In in my Inslee version, if you will, God says, get out the tent, look into the skies, you see all those stars? That's how many... How many people I'm going to bless that? I'm going to multiply your seed. Now, if you can count them, you can count, you can count your seed. And the Bible says Abraham believed and what is imputed unto him for righteousness. So he's already been through that. He's already accepted the fact that God was holy and man needed to be forgiven. And if you do not know Christ here this morning, your very first step is to believe and to call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But for the Christian, for us here this morning who are believers, those of us who have believed God and His Word for salvation, our challenge, my challenge from the text and my challenge to you is to believe God in everything else, not just for salvation. Believe Him in everything else. Believe this book from cover to cover. Believe that He will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter what. Believe Him in the impossible, even the raising of the dead. Against hope, believe God. Against all odds, believe God. When everybody else is not doing it, believe God. Believe God. Trust Him who has the power over death. Only God. Believe God. Believe like Abraham. Believe. Worship like Abraham. Love like Abraham. That's what it means to be a friend of God. Be a friend of God. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer.